I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City, and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. Today on the show, we have Michael Pekatowski. He is a physical therapist and the founder and CEO of Physical Therapy Practice Sales and Consulting. You can find them online at physicaltherapybrokers.com. Michael, what's going on? Dave, great to be back on the show. Appreciate it. Excellent. So you sent over some information for us, a document for us to go back and forth over for this episode. And today we are covering the market drivers, as well as the current physical therapy market and a 2023 outlook. So if you are a physical therapy practice owner, if you're on the edge or on the fence of thinking about selling, thinking about transitioning, possibly selling some or all of your practice, this will be an episode you'll want to listen to, maybe listen to twice and potentially save it and store it for the next year to come. So Mike, in regards to the current market drivers, we're talking about high level drivers. We're talking about some other components. Let's get right into it. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously right now in the news, everyone's talking about the economy and the risk of recession coming, you know, is rising, seems like almost every day. So, you know, I I do get a lot of questions from business owners about how that would impact deal making going forward. And and if we've seen anything, seen any impact, you know, currently. So really at the end of the day, that when the economy is not going well, it will have an impact on deal structures, deal making at many, many levels. Whether or not it, it seeps into our industry, you know, we can get into the specifics. But bankers who control the deal making industry, finance the loans and all that kind of stuff are very risk averse. They're a risk averse group. And anytime there's a little bit of whether it's theoretical or actual uh, risk, out there on the horizon, you'll see the the bankers get a lot more skittish on on making deals and whether or not they're going to make loans to people. So it has a huge risk. You know, in addition to this, you know, we are in a in a phase where the Fed has been raising interest rates significantly over the last several months. And as far as we know, that appears to uh, to be continuing into 2023. So you know that that little change you know it helps people who save a lot of money but people who use money to finance deals it makes those deals more expensive and so you got two big drivers that you know will impact deal making happening simultaneously the rising interest rates and and recession risk coming in into play right now which you know on the grand scheme of things, if you look in Wall Street, there's definitely an impact. Look at any of the Wall Street Journal articles and uh, articles about the banking industry right now. 
There's you know a lot of speculation of looming layoffs in 2023, and and bonuses are being cut or eliminated for a lot of the bankers, which you know is is you know for most of those folk that folks that's where they make their money on their bonus, not necessarily on the salary. Right. So you know anytime there's there's blood in the water like that, it definitely you know causes a ripple effect across the economy and across deals in general. So we have that going on outside of the PT industry, and it is having an impact. Um, you are seeing some some um, some buyers, you know, uh, be impacted by these by these uh, drivers that are that are happening. But by and large, uh, you know, to the local owner today, you know, those things are happening in in the background. And really, what the what the the local owner on a day to day is what I call the margin squeeze. We're always under the threat of reducing reimbursement rates. You know, CMS again is trying to cut rates again for 2023, and you know, Congress is trying to do a late, you know, last minute save on it again. I mean, I don't know if you've been in the industry long enough. You've seen this this play out. Seems like almost every year for the last 20 years, this threat of cuts and then Congress comes in and saves some or all of it is something that we've seen many, many times. But by and large, you're seeing a lot of payers out there try and find ways to reduce reduce what they're paying for the average PT visit. They're taking the note from CMS and taking a note for what's happening out across the country. And they're all trying to find ways to cut those costs as best they can. You know, and then on top of that, you know, the average PT practice is really seeing an increase in labor costs. You know, since COVID, you know, the industry lost a lot of PTs in COVID, particularly, you know, what when I sat down, I was at PPS early in, in November and sat down with, I think, about eight different CEOs of various size companies across the U.S. And, and every one of them to a person said the same thing, that labor is their number one issue. Um, and you know, I, I heard different, um, you know, takes on what's driving that and, and um, different approaches to, to helping uh, resolve that. And But uh, by and large, you know, the, the theme that I heard most often from, from those folks is the full-time folks seem to have stayed around, but um, a lot of the part-time folks that you use to handle additional volume or- Fill, fill in the gaps uh, for coverage. Fill the gaps and coverage. That's really what got squeezed, and and those folks like either didn't come back to the market or, you know, are just working differently than they did in the past. And so, so at the end of the day, um, what's what a lot of folks are doing is paying more or you know increasing their benefits or whatever they can do to attract um, talent to their organizations. And and so you, you, we're really getting it on both ends. I mean, labor is the number one expense. In a PT practice, um, you know, it will generally run 50 to 60 percent of the average PT practice. And, you know, when you're taking the number one expense and increasing that expense and then also on the other side, there's threats of redu reduction in, in revenue. You know, that's that's a that's a that's a bad spot to be in. And, and um, you know, that's probably more important for for practice owners to focus on in this environment than anything else. 
um, is really focusing on managing their 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 margins, keeping their their people happy, keeping them engaged, and um, doing whatever they can to make sure that their reimbursement remains steady. Or, or you know, if you can, if there are ways to improve your reimbursement today, is that you know, take advantage of any opportunity that you have. I'm curious, any of the CEOs that you spoke with at PPS, I wonder, or I'm curious, is if any of them mentioned to you that their thoughts on where those part-timers might have gone, if any of them said that the part-timers are going out and starting their own thing, whether a mobile practice, cash practice, some hybrid where they charge, you know, out of pocket, maybe they take Medicare, but they charge out of pocket for any person that has a uh, commercial insurance. Any of those CEOs mentioned that as part of a trend as well? I don't think everyone put their finger directly on where those folks went. Um, I think what they could tell you is that they just aren't coming back. And it's very, very difficult to find those people to fill those gaps or or when you have a practice that's growing and you need a little extra help, but you're not quite there for a full-time FTE. You know, that's where the challenge is. Um, I did I didn't get a sense from anyone as to where where specifically they went. It wasn't a, a topic of conversation. They may know, but I I certainly didn't get uh, get that into that part of the weeds with them. Got it. Um, any other drivers, any other forces in the economy for market drivers before we step into the current physical therapy market? I mean, those are the those are the main topics that I, I think every practice owner needs to be aware of right now. And as we shift into what's happening specifically in the PT market, what you'll what you'll you know come to understand or or um, experience if you were to go take your practice to the market today and 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 try and sell it. Um, I have a, a buyers list right now that has uh, 41 active buyers on it. That's the most that there's ever been on my buyers list ever since I've been doing mergers and acquisitions, uh, either as a buyer or or on the sell side. Um, you know, even this week, I had two calls with new investors coming to the market and, you know, and that's probably my fourth, fifth, or maybe even sixth call this year um, with investors exploring the market or looking to come in. So, you know, it's still very, very attractive to investors, um, whether they're experienced in the space or not. We're still seeing a lot of interest in the PT space. So because of that, because we've been seeing so many new buyers and so many buyers in the market. Any of the deal processes that I've been involved with in the last six months or so, you know, I've seen a couple trends that really seem to be um, prevalent. One, we are seeing some buyers get very selective on what deals they want to pursue and what deals they exit quickly on. And so we are definitely seeing buyers drop out of the process, drop out of a process really quick. Um, however, you know, in, in a even relatively small deals, I've got a list of, you know, a dozen potential buyers that it may fit. So you might lose six of them, but still have six competing for that, that acquisition. So um, by and large, what I'm see what I'm seeing is the competition's still there. 
um, as we're going through the um, you know through the sales process, the buyers are still having to be competitive with their valuations, with their multiples, and their deal terms to get to successfully navigate through a process and, and close a deal. So you know, I don't know if that's I can't say for sure that that's going to hold or, or, you know, that's the driving force behind it. But it just seems with all the the headwinds that you have in the the high level market drivers um, out there, we would you would expect to see a lot more. You, you see some impact in the PT um, market and we're just not seeing it yet. Uh, not saying it's not going to happen. But, you know, as of today, as of December, what are we, December 9th, we're not seeing it yet. So, you know, by and large, it's still a good time. It's still a favorable time for, um, you know, folks who, if they're interested in selling their practice, um, still, you're still going to get a good deal, um, you know, especially if you can work with someone who's going to help, help you through the process and find the right buyers that are going to create a competitive process for you. Right. So in terms of putting ourselves in the shoes of a private practice owner that has maybe had their practice for 15, 20, 30 years, if they're listening, they're watching, it's it's still beneficial to them when you say that there's 41 active buyers or more, 41 active buyers across the U.S. in the physical therapy market. If I'm a So I'm a physical therapy practice owner myself. Obviously, we're buying, we're not looking to sell. But if I were, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, if I was looking to exit or retire or take a step out or sell some all of my practice. What I'm hearing from you, Mike, is these are positive signs because there's buyers that are in the market. Maybe those aggregators, those consolidators have gotten better in terms of like evaluating deals over the past decade. They've gotten better knowing that here's what they see on the front end. And then if we have this as a tuck-in acquisition, here's what we can expect on the back end. Here's the other, here's the other services and things we could potentially add in. Like I just interviewed a uh, Steve, one of the VPs from Alliance Physical Therapy Partners yesterday on the show. And um, they have, you probably know, but they have a whole bunch of other services that they add in, for example, orthotics. That's just one of many other things. But they have so much, they have a lot of the bigger buyers will have resources and they have additional support, whether it's back office support, call centers, and Alliance Physical Therapy Partners. I didn't know this until recently, but they built their own. EMR, they have their own medical records. So they have a lot of things on the back end. They have a lot of things figured out. And if I'm a private practice owner, that's, let's say, if I were 55, 60, 65 years old, if I'm listening to this, you have to be positive. You have to be optimistic. Now, of course, there might be pressures on the reimbursement, as you said, and there's pressure on payroll and 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 uh, and labor. That's just the nature of this current market as we're kind of coming out of the COVID or, or post-COVID pandemic. But there's a lot of positives, and therefore, it's still, like you're saying, it's still a good time to potentially exit. It's still a good market to sell. And there's a lot of buyers, so that that's showing that there's stability in the service, in physical therapy itself. So if there's another crazy second COVID event or some cyber attack or something, like physical therapy is still going to be in need. It's still going to be, whether it's in a clinic, whether it's in someone's home, whether it's a, a uh, work, uh, work hardening, work conditioning but that a lot of the bigger corporates and, and the other, you know, USPH does and a lot of others do. There's a lot of positives. There's a lot of benefits to private practice owners out there. 100%. You know, the therapy is not going anywhere. You know, it may change a little bit in what it looks like or how it's how the service is delivered um, over time. And, you know, as tech, as we're able to leverage technologies and, and uh, provide services in different ways. 
it may change over time, but the need for qualified, skilled clinicians is is only growing. And so I think that's, if you look at the market studies out there for the PT industry, it's it's projected to be a significant growth driver, you know, through the next 20 years as the baby boomers work through the health system. So we still have, you know, a huge, huge upside for quite some time in the industry. And then even after the boomers start to navigate through, there may not be as many in numbers, but by that time, we I would hope that the PT industry has learned how to integrate themselves into the, the healthcare system and delivery model in a way that makes them, you know, continue to be really super essential part of, of you know, actually preventing injury and, and preventing surgery. And, you know, those are the things that I think are under levered um, in our healthcare system today that PT can provide. And people are starting to understand and, and insurance companies and, and, and healthcare uh, delivery models are starting to understand this and starting to leverage it. I just don't know that we've seen the model that's going to going to uh, take hold for the for the next you know twenty to fifty years. Uh, uh, I don't know if we've seen that yet, but but it'll be interesting as as we all uh, work through the system over the next several years to see what what takes shape. Right, and then in terms of the core offering of hands-on physical therapy, the the emotional component, like the relational component of like the patient and the physical therapist interacting, speaking with each other, and then the hands-on evaluation, the hands-on treatment. I really don't see, I mean, I know there's hinge health and there's all, you know, sword health and all these others that um, are basically almost like a free app through, you know, your insurance portal or something. And that might serve some percentage of the market where they can just like open it whenever they want and do some potentially customized exercises, potentially cookie cutter exercises. Many old school practice owners are obviously going to scoff at that and and um, really look down on it. I really don't see in the foreseeable future, if we're talking about 20, 30, 50 years out, I don't see some app or technology or robot replacing the core service of physical therapy. And that is why Amazon can't really come in and necessarily disrupt it. It could, like they got into, I think, Amazon home care, and then they kind of got out of it, I think. So there's always going to be this need. And it's something that I believe cannot really be disrupted, the core offering disrupted by some app or virtual or telehealth or, you know, some app based uh, where it's a physical therapist or not on the other side, or it's just, you know, literally, it's just an app and no physical therapist actually engaging in the clinical decision making or the the whole process. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with you 100%. There's, um, you know, whether it's a virtual visit or some kind of, you know, AI attached to an app, I just cannot see uh, us developing a technology yet. Now, at least I haven't seen it yet where you're going to get the same input as a clinician and be able to provide the same level of expertise as a clinician if you don't get your hands on, on the patient. And I think patients by and large, prefer to have someone there to help them. Um, this is an injury or a ailment that's that's uh, bothering them, and they want to be able to talk through it. They want to ask questions, and you just can't do that on an app. You might be able to do some of that over a virtual visit, 
but you're just not going to be able to get the same level of care. And at some point, whether it's a ACL repair or a, a total joint or, or you know, post-stroke recovery, there is always you're, the clinician being there, putting hands on the patient and understanding what their needs are and what their what the issues are is always going to be a better level of care than than any kind of AI or, or virtual visit can provide. Hundred percent, we'll never get rid of it. You know, it may become may become more focused where you're only going to get those patients that really need that and that someone who just you know. Um, doesn't need a high level of care might be able to um, meet the, their need through virtual or or through an AI. But as you as you uh, estimated, I think that's going to be a very very small percentage of the overall population. Yeah, makes sense. Before we jump next into the 2023 outlook, any other components of the current physical therapy market? I think at the end of the day, the the terms and, and the valuations, all that stuff that I'm seeing are still favorable for sellers. And, you know, I think if you you really want to sell your practice, it is still a good time. I think that's that's the that's the despite all the stuff that you're hearing, <laughs> it's still a good time. I think that's the 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 nook and cranny of it. And, and it's because our industry has some other things going on outside of what's going on in the economy that it's that's keeping those those market forces competitive and and the and the environment still favorable for sellers which is what what do you mean like just more competition from the the, the competition large buyers? yeah the competition because of the competition if we didn't have the competition i think we'd be seeing eroding valuations we'd be seeing eroding multiples you know we'd be seeing more terms in purchase agreements that are risk sharing or um, more, know, more, more earnouts, more earnouts, payments. Yes. Different payment structures. It's going to be more of a buyer's uh, market than a, than a seller's market. And that's the, that's the real shift when, if we start to see those things start to creep into the, to the purchase agreements and into the, the conversations with buyers um, on a, on a regular basis, then, you know, that's when it shifts and it becomes a buyer's market rather than a seller's market. Great. So competition keeps things healthy. Great. And yep. again, so the competition also then helps the private practice owner who is listening or watching to this. There's more competition out there. There's more corporate buyers. There's more smaller buyers like us coming out. Some other physical therapists, they see the value of maybe adding a, a second or third location and, and they could do that through some small local or regional tuck-in acquisition as opposed to opening up a de novo and starting from scratch. So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of positives out there for private practice owners across the states, different markets, whether metros or, or rural. 100%. Excellent. So then next into the 2023 outlook. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of looking ahead is, and, you know, I, no one really has a crystal ball. Um, so, you know, but if you, I do get asked this all the time, through with practice owners and and even the CEOs that, we, that I sat down with over the last month, um, you know, we we like to speculate what's what might be happening or what what might happen and and really I always try and look at the big picture and when you look at the big picture and you look at all the different buyers of that on that list of the forty one buyers out there 
there's several of them that are nearing five years since their original investment or their latest investment. So why is that a magic number? Well, the average hold for a private equity platform is about 4.8 years. So when you start to, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to start to say, see, okay, these guys are, you know, these private equity uh, holders of, of, you know, platform companies out there that brand names that you and I know and have heard of, you know, we're going to see some consolidation in the industry, whether, you know, when that five-year time clock runs out, private equity firms typically have, they have a couple, they have several options, but the two that are most common are they're going to recapitalize. So that means they're either going to sell to an, uh, another private equity firm, usually a little larger one, or they're con- they're going to consider a strategic partnership with one of the, one of the bigger players out there. I think the market industry is right that we're going to see some consolidation where some strategic buyers are going to buy up some of the smaller buyers, smaller consolidators out there right now. You know, that's my theory. What's what's going to happen? You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe even something before the end of the year, just because, you know, as you come as you come down to December 31st, everyone tries to get that last deal in before the end of the year and and you know if if there's been conversations going for for quite some time between um you know some of the the I'll just call them the big boys in on the in the PT market with some of the um you know smaller companies who knows but I, I think you will see something in 20 you know on in 2023 or or maybe even possibly before before the end of the year you're going to start to see some consolidation and it might be more than one so you know, I think I think that's probably theme number one that that I'm gonna that that I'm I see happening in 2023, and I think the other thing is, you know, from a seller's point of view, I again kind of going back to the the X's and O's, focus be keeping focused on your margins. Um, is going to be the number one thing that um, you're going to want to do because once margins start to erode, then your valuation and your equity ultimately your equity value drops. So we know what the challenges are. You know that that labor is going to be a challenge, and you may or may not be facing reimbursement cuts in your market or with your with your particular payer mix. But but at the end of the day. You know what the challenge is going to be. Keeping and maintaining your margins are going to be job number one. You know, if you're anticipating going into a sales cycle in the next 12 to 24 months, maintain those margins as best you can. And then number two, have a plan, have an exit plan. If you're going to do it, you got to understand what your options are and you got to have a plan. Um, you don't just want to, um, you know, call someone like myself and say, hey, I want to, you know, it's December 8th. I'd love to sell my practice before the end of the year. It's not going to happen. And um, I can't help you. (laughs) And you got to have a plan. And and really, you want to start looking two, maybe even three years out. I have some folks that I've worked with over the years that have started their businesses, you know, they're a year or two into their business and already have an exit plan in place. So, you know, but have a plan because if you just jump into it when you want to try and make a quick sale, 
you've already put yourself in the worst position you could be in through negotiation process. And then, you know, the other thing that I would say, you know, if you're going to go into a sales process in 2023 is just make sure you're working with someone that knows the industry extremely well and knows who might be the right buyers that would interest you and help you achieve your exit plan and, and your exit goals not only financially, but for most business owners I work with, this is a legacy and they want to make ensure that that legacy continues in, in such a way that that makes them proud and, and you know, feel, feel confident that uh, they did the best they could for their, for their team that they've built over the years and, and provided them the resources to continue to grow and, and those kinds of things. So having someone that that can really help you through the process not only the the financial part of it but also um that knows the 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 buyers on the other side i think is a, is a critical critical piece um not only that but again as we talked about competition is going to is going to breed the best the best deal for you so making sure you're working with someone that knows all the potential buyers out there is going to only increase the the numbers for you as you as you go into a process. So, yeah, at the, at the end of the day, twenty twenty three, I don't see the the volume dropping off a cliff. Um, we've been pretty steady in the second half of the year, between six and seven deals closing every month. And if we were to run that rate out um, next year, that's still an above average year for for the PT industry. I mean, we typically. In years past, you know, 40 to 50 deals a year was kind of what, what we saw on an average. And the year after COVID, we saw, you know, was was a was a you know an aberration. That's that's not probably not going to happen again. But now going in 2022, we're still looking at you know 80 deals um for this year. And you know, there's a strong likelihood if we just continue the pace that we had in the second half of the year that we're gonna we're going to continue right along in that 70, 80, maybe even 90 deals next year. So um, I, I just, I, I, I'm still bullish, even though the economy um, is, is not uh, favorable right now, you know, but I, I think the industry um, and I think the, um, the, the amount of deals and, and the amount of buyers out there is going to keep, keep the transactions uh, going strong into 2023, even, despite any headwinds that we're going to going to be seeing. Right. And I think you might have mentioned this on the first time you were on the show, but in regards to the tip that you were mentioning for practice owners about for them, if they're looking to sell, continue to focus on their margins. I think a few other things that you mentioned just as a as a recap on the previous episode was they should also continue investing in advertising, right? They should continue with their indeed postings in terms of like having a pipeline and a funnel of new labor of, of new physical therapists or even front desk staff, whatever it might be. Because some of the clients that you've had over the years, I believe you mentioned and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they kind of take their foot off the gas in some respects where they're focusing on this exit strategy. They might be dealing with you every day or every other day or weekly, whatever it is. And then they're taking their focus off the practice, the business itself. So they might pause their marketing budget or less focus on the marketing, less focus on hiring. I just, if folks haven't listened to the first episode, I believe that was something that we covered and any thoughts there? Yeah, so I have seen that, and I'm not sure if we went into this story last time or not, I can't recall, but but I have seen practices that, for lack of a better word, took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit because they knew they're going into a sales process. And 
the last thing a buyer wants to see when you're going into a sales process is, you know, new patients dropping off or visit volume dropping off or or whatever. And if it's just because of not, you know, not executing on the basic blocking and tackling, keeping your staffing in place, keeping your advertising or, or whatever drives new patients into your practice, you know, if you're not executing on those things because you're focused on, you know, planning, you know, focused on an exit strategy, that's a that's a real challenge for a buyer. Things start going backwards. It really changes the tone of the conversations and 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 can ultimately change the deal that you originally thought you were going into a process um, with. So hate to see that happen. I have seen some folks uh, where that's happened. Unfortunately, that's always been on when I was a buyer. Um, so, you know, um, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, that is a very real issue is, is when you start to focus on a new, you know, I'll call it your second career or your career after your PT operation, and you forget that you're still running your PT practice for a little bit. That's that's a re- very real phenomenon. Right. Because in some cases, the due diligence process or the process between uh, a practice owner meeting one or more buyers, meeting, meaning they sign an NDA, maybe they send the potential buyer or buyers, they send them their financials, their the last year, the last three years, but focus on the, the trail in 12 months, but they'll be sending the last three years. And then that process, depending on the seller and depending on the buyer, this due diligence process could be three, four, five months, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. And in that in that span of time of five, six months, yep. the trend of of new patients and and follow visits and, and mo- monthly trends of total patients or you know average collections, whatever it might be, if that starts to trail off and, and decrease, that'll scare off some buyers. So then buyers will say, actually, instead of you know valuing your practice at X, now maybe we'll give you or offer you 70 or 80% of that cash a close, then some has to be some earn out over time in the in the future. So it could impact things quite considerably, just depending on the situation. Exactly. And and again, with the environment we're in, if we start to get into the buyer's market, you're going to see that more and more often. And that's the situation that you you just want to you want to try and avoid right now. And I have seen it happen with folks and it is a very real real phenomenon. So yes, that is absolutely a nugget. Make sure you continue to run your practice despite you know where you're at in, on your exit strategy. Excellent. And then in regards to your team, it's how many? It's just you and you have some other support staff. You have some other advisors with you. Like if a practice owner ends up reaching out and learning more, what can they expect in terms of like your team and, and your resources and all that? Yeah. So uh, it depends on our activity level, but I do have some folks that will help me you know, crunch numbers and and those kinds of things. I I run the, all the processes on, on our end. Um, I do have I do outsource compliance assessments, and that's part of any exit strategy I do because, quite honestly, I've you know gone through some processes with folks, and and um, you know then we find that there's a compliance issue here or there that can stall or or you know, change the tone of, of a conversation. So, so part of an exit strategy with my firm is you will have an exit, you will have a compliance assessment done and that'll give you some assurance that, you know, we've cleaned up anything that needs to be cleaned up before you go in the process. Um, and we always find something, don't get me wrong, we always find something 
but you know it's it's the major things that we want to make sure that that they don't exist before going in the process. So so yeah, those are my team members. We have you know, some financial analysts and and some and some compliance specialists that assist depending on what the client needs. Excellent. So physicaltherapybrokers.com, Mike, would be the best place for practice owners to reach out to you, maybe LinkedIn or anywhere else? Those are the two areas I'm most active in. The phys- physicaltherapybrokers.com, um, you can actually schedule a free initial evaluation right on the website. Excellent. And also, if you're listening, you guys need to connect with Mike on LinkedIn because he publishes a monthly market recap, which is really awesome of which buyers, the regional or national buyers that are out there, how many acquisitions that they've acquired uh, month by month, and then also by deal size. So it could be, you know, how many were one-off locations, how many were, you know, five or six or seven locations, and and a little bit of a write-up. I think it's maybe two, three, four pages or something each month. So you should definitely connect with Mike on LinkedIn to provide a little bit more insight and value into what else is going on out there in the market across the country, not just in your state, but across the nation. Absolutely. That that actually has been one of the most popular things that I've done. I've gotten more comments about the market write-ups than just about anything else at PPS this year. Was I can't tell you how many people pulled me aside and, and said, "Hey, I really, I really enjoy reading that." It just surprised me how many people actually read what I wrote on a monthly basis. So it's uh, it's been a fun uh, experience. But you know, there's numbers in there. So if you're a numbers person you can really start to see some of the trends and and see what's going on out there and see where the activity is and and it's very helpful as a as a practice owner if you're contemplating a sale now or in the future um just to kind of get some some real live data yeah sounds great uh, mike really appreciate your time always welcome to come back on in the near future and we certainly can chop it up more then we talked about how the audience can connect with you and go from there in regards to their exit strategy, succession plan, and how you guys help private practice owners with their transition, with their exit, with their next their next step, their next chapter of their life, right? Absolutely. Excellent. Appreciate your time. Guys, if you find this valuable, helpful, share this episode with one colleague. Take the link of this episode you're listening on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Text it or email it to one colleague that you met at PPS you met at CSM, you met in physical therapy school or undergrad, whatever it might be, send it to one individual that's a practice owner, clinic director, manager, send it to someone who is business-minded and entrepreneurial like yourself. And that's all I ask for you. And we'll see you next time on the Dave Kittle Show. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.